People ask me all the time what I do to care for my skin. First, I have to admit, I've got good genes from my mom and dad. But to be honest, it's really a lot more than that. And maybe not what you think. You see, what we put in makes just as much difference as what we put on. And I mean, spiritually, physically, and topically. It's a little like staying alive on the campaign trail. Well, it's been a couple of years since I taught a class on healthy living with my friends and I've decided to start another one. Listen, I love learning from these guys. You guys are going to love them too. Dr. Edie Wadsworth, Candace Crabtree, and of course, Melissa Crabtree are making up the dream team that's coming with me to teach you and you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to cover hormones, stress, sleep, weight loss, roller coaster emotions, and of course, topical skincare. And I'm going to tell you my favorites and let you in on my routine. This class is open to anybody who's already in my oily family or who doesn't have an active Young Living account, meaning you can't have ordered within the last 12 months. I don't want to take anybody away from somebody else's oily family. Listen, you guys, this is going to be awesome. The class is August 8th through 11th happening on Facebook. Go to thebusymom.com forward slash oils and get all the details. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. This is Heidi St. John. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today, I'm going to pick up my discussion with my friend, Andrew Pudua, about how important it is that we as parents have a theology for suffering and we can prepare our children for persecution. We had this conversation yesterday. We left yesterday talking about picking it back up today uh, and bringing the discussion of truth into it. You guys, this is going to be a powerful conversation. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys. Well, thank you for tuning in today. I'm going to jump right into this because I don't often get to have Andrew on the show. He's like this in-demand celebrity that I have a really hard time getting a hold of and getting on the show with me. He's here today. Andrew Pudua, my friend, welcome back to the show. As always, a tremendous privilege and pleasure. Well, the, the privilege is mine. Yesterday, we were talking about uh, just kind of just laying the groundwork for kind of how we got to where we are, this idea that we no longer know who we are. Uh, we see class warfare now. We're going right back. We're going backwards in the culture, backward into racism, backward into anarchy. A lot of this stuff coming from our schools, uh, from our public high schools and our grade schools, even definitely in our public universities. And many, many, many parents, especially sitting back right now, scratching their heads going, Okay, how did we get here? I don't, I don't recognize my child anymore. I don't understand where they're coming from. Uh, so much, and you, you rightly pointed out, right? If we're going to be identified by the culture now, you know, Heidi St. John is a cisgender woman. When someone called me that the other day and I was like, yeah, no, I'm just a woman. Like, I don't need your little prefix. You know, I know who I am, but this is a large part of the problem. If somebody asks me, and in fact, I got uh, interviewed on the television the other day, and they said, you know, who is Heidi St. John? And I said, well, the most important thing you need to know about me is I'm a daughter of the King of Kings. And I'm the wife of J. St. John and the mother of seven children and a grandmother for four children. And everything flows downward from there. But in the culture right now, we're starting with exactly what Freud was hoping for. We're starting with our sexual identity. And now we've got kids not even knowing if there's such a thing as male and female. We've got a cultural Marxism absolutely taking root in the culture right now. But a lot of this stuff, based on the fact that we've been allowing lies to permeate the culture, which was Rod Dreher's big deal, right? When he wrote, Live Not By Lies. And you wrote about this uh, in a new workshop that you're giving around the country. And you pointed out some really important untruths. I'm wondering if we can start. That's kind of a heavy topic, but I'd like to start there and then just unpack it from there. Yeah, sure. No, very, very important. Um, so uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff wrote a book called 
the coddling of the American mind. And this was, um, I don't know, it had to be at least five, six years ago when I first read this book, I think. And in this book, they talk about the three great untruths. And they are mostly concerned, their work is very greatly concerned, I would say, with freedom of speech mm. and freedom of expression on college campuses. They are classical liberals in the sense that they believe that indeed uh, the path to a healthy democracy is a free exchange of ideas. Yeah, the liberals used to love that stuff. And now all they of a sudden, to. yeah, I mean, you know, we don't, I, I tell people you, you've got, you can't just call people liberals anymore. You have to say there's a difference between a classic liberal and a leftist. And they're not even on the same highway, I don't think. No, not anymore. And I I find myself listening to some of these classic liberals thinking, you go, you yeah, know, right. tell it the way it is. Yeah. Well, I would disagree with them politically on almost everything, but thank heavens they're, you know, taking a stand for the yeah. importance of um, free exchange of ideas. This is like Bill Maher, right? I think he probably fits into the classic liberal uh, yeah. into that classic liberal lane. He's on his show, you know, all the time saying, what are we doing? Wait, we're going to deny male and female. Are, are you guys insane? Which it really is insane, but carry on. Well, and there's Barry Weiss yep. and there's um, Tybee, Matt Tybee. I don't know if you follow him, but um, Lukianoff and Hate, I think, put their finger very clearly on these three great untruths. And really they were writing it to say, Wherever you send a kid to college, even if it's a private or Catholic or Christian school, they will be indoctrinated into these three lies, if not through the faculty, simply through the exposure of being with other kids their age, because everyone believes these lies. So uh, real quickly, the first one he calls um, the myth or the lie of fragility, mm. right? So if it doesn't, kill you, it makes you weaker. And this idea that somehow someone expressing an idea can actually harm you. Did you see this from the floor of the House of Representatives? Surely you did. Uh, Senator uh, Josh Hawley uh, in, an, in an open exchange with a, uh, a sitting professor from the University of California, Berkeley. And he, she asked him, do you believe that men can get pregnant? And he said, no, like, you know, duh. No, I don't believe that. And she said, boy, I, you know, I got to tell you, you're, you know, you, that idea and what your, your words are causing people to die. And he pushed back. He said, what do you mean? I can't express an idea. I mean, this is exactly what you're saying, isn't it? Yes. It, you know, this fear that if somehow someone doesn't like something you say, they might kill themselves. Right. Therefore, you can't say anything that might cause anyone to think about killing themselves. Right. You know, but, in you know, they point out that there's really a huge historical distinction between thinking and saying something mm -hmm. and doing something. Yes. And we've had that protection in our laws, you know, since the beginning of us talking about freedom of speech in a serious way, a hundred years ago, in a founding way, several hundred years ago. But, um, you know, this, this is the, the problem is that most kids now are, becoming allergic to a free exchange of ideas because of their fear that either someone will say something that hurts them or they might say something that would hurt someone else. Right, right. So that's the first lie. Um, the second lie is this lie 
that everyone is either good or evil, mm. right? Everyone is either good or bad. And Hayden Lukianoff don't don't take it this far, but I would take it this far and say this lie is the rejection is the consequence is the rejection of sin, right? So if you reject the idea of sin, then you are almost forced into a position of I don't sin. Therefore, I am not wrong. Therefore, nothing that I say or think would be wrong. Therefore, anyone who thinks or says something that is opposite of what I say or think, they must be wrong. And if someone is wrong about one thing, they must be wrong about everything. And so we get this polarization, whereas, you know, we would all do much better to embrace Chesterton's idea, who said, what's wrong with the world? I am. Right. Right. <laughs> I yeah. am what's right. Good old D.K. Chesterton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that that's the second great lie is that everyone is either good or bad. And if you can't say that, yes, I have bad in me, then everyone who opposes me must be bad. And I know you've experienced this in the political arena. Absolutely. It's like, you know, you say one thing that they disagree with, you now have to be evil and wrong in every way from their perspective. Yeah, that's right. And it's so damaging. It's so damaging because what it does instantly is it shuts down conversation. It squelches debate and we're not allowed to have an open and robust debate, right? So if I believe that uh, life begins at conception, which I do, and I want to defend that position against someone who is a pro-abortion activist, the first thing they're going to do is come at me and say, you want women to die. Right. And exactly. so we 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 lo- we move past any kind of logical discussion why my, why I might feel the way I do and we've instantly gone to a conclusion about the person with whom we disagree. <laughs> which brings us to the third of the lies that they mention which is trust your feelings. And you know, unfortunately every one of us, well, fortunately I guess we should say every one of us probably has an experience of having trusted our feelings and turned out to be a very <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> and yet young people, because they aren't equipped with the tools for rational thought in a clear and useful way, they fall back on, well, it just feels right mm-hmm. or it feels wrong. Or that hurt my feelings. And it hurt yeah, my feelings. Yeah. So. Anyway, I, I highly recommend their book. I don't agree with everything in it. And it is. What's the name you know, of it again? A, a very, it's called um, The Coddling of the American Mind. And um, yeah, and, and the, they've continued to be active. They're very, very active, especially in uh, trying to defend people who are trying to speak openly on university campuses in places that are trying to shut them down. So uh, you can look there, but I do want to, before we run out of time and our time goes by so quickly. I know this is how I feel whenever we're sitting down for dinner too. I I don't think, I don't, I feel like we ate, we went through dinner last time we were together. We still had two hours worth of conversation. Could, could have been, could have been once you're, once you're past whatever happens to you, you know, I'll I'll fly to Washington and then we'll really have some good dinners. Let's do it. (laughs) You know, Um, I won't turn that down. 
But I, I do want to get back to this idea of code and creed and how when we are looking to help our children learn to define themselves, we want to instill in them these codes and these creeds and that we do that primarily through the culture that we create. Mm. So, you know, think about growing up, you know, I'm a little older than you. But there were certain things that were were in the world as code and creed that were very helpful uh, definition wise. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian family per se, but I knew the Ten Commandments. I knew the basic rules of civility. Mm-hmm. Um, I I knew what it meant to be an American. I knew the Bill of Rights. I knew um, why I should vote. I I was a scout. And, and, you know, it's funny. You look at almost any institution and it has associated with this a code and a creed. Think about marriage, right? When you get married, you exchange vows. Well, what are these? This is a code. I promise to do this. I promise to not do that. Right? When you um, take a job, you you essentially have a code of conduct that you That's agree right. to. Yep. And those help define you in those various circumstances. And so, you know, growing up, I I had these things kind of embedded in the culture. And then there were creeds. You think about well, things that we grew up to believe. Um, you know, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son. We we would hear these things and, and say them again and again and again, whether, you know, we we were intentionally doing so or not. It was just kind of a part of a certain culture. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that childhood cultural enriching is really what helps a lot. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but there were these Christian cultural elements that were still part of my life. These American elements, you'd go to school. Um, In the early days, um, you know, people would still pray, you know, kind of an innocuous. Yeah. yeah. And no one cared. Nobody's called, no one's kind of the ACLU. A formal, you know, okay, God exists. All right, let's yeah. go on and study evolution. At least there was, you know, something there. Yeah. Um, you know, even we would recite the Pledge of Allegiance. What was that all about? You know, you know, in one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, right? And so, you know, we would say that stuff again and again and again. So it would get into the spirit, like that's who I am. I'm an American. And now all of these things are being eroded and taken away and, you know, an American flag in a classroom being replaced with the newest jet transgender rainbow flag or whatever. Right, right. Uh, And so constantly changing. the, The thing is, is if we don't teach our children to define themselves through, I would argue, culture that instills code and creed, then the world will define them and convince them to define themselves in a completely different way. Mm. So uh, a lot of where I'm, you know, finished up with this talk for parents 
was to say, okay, what can you do every day in your home that would equip your children not just to define themselves against a world of disordered thinking, but to maintain, to hold that identity if, God forbid, they should be stripped of everything they have. Mm. What if you were stripped of everything you have? You had no home, no bank account, no vehicle, no friends, no no cell phone. Mm-hmm. How would Ooh, you boy. How yeah. would you live? No one right? knows. <laughs> and and what if you were stripped of everything? Yeah. And I'm not talking just like inconvenience. Yeah. Like there could be an inconvenient time in the next five to ten years where if you don't have a microchip in your hand, you can't go put gas in your car or shop at Whole Foods. Right. That would be an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. But what if you actually suffered an act of persecution? You were Mm. your bank accounts were locked down. You were fired from your job or you were put in prison. What would you have left? What would you have? It would be only that which you carry around in your mind and your heart. Boy, Andrew, that's a really, really good place. Uh, I got to take a break. I'm going to pick this up in just a minute. We'll be right back. If you guys are homeschooling in the fall and you are looking for a program for language arts, I want to recommend to you the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And recently I've been hearing from you asking, what do I buy? IEW has a lot of things that they're offering. So I want you guys to start with something I have loved and used with my kids. It's called Structure and Style for Students. Check it out and try three weeks for free at IEW.com forward slash Heidi. So talk to the parents right before the break. You were saying you want to be able to equip parents to equip their children because that's really what this is about at this point. I mean, you just went through a litany of things. Uh, you're talking about, you know, you might not be able to get gas unless you got a chip in your hand or go to Whole Foods. You know, they're going to be the very first people to go. That's right. You can't come here unless you got a mask on your face and and uh, and uh, and you're wearing a hazmat suit and you got a chip in your hand. Right. We can totally see Whole Foods jumping on that bandwagon. But look at Pastor Arthur in uh, in Canada. who was put in jail for what he was doing. This is actually not far fetched. What you're saying, you know, 10 years ago, I'm like, ah, people would blow it off. But anyone who's paying attention can see that unless this country shifts course dramatically in the next uh, couple of years, unless we start sending people to the positions of leadership in this country who are going to actually stand for freedom and for limited government, we're looking down the barrel of a totalitarian government right now. And yeah. we better prepare our kids. And and that's what Rod Dreher's you know, second half of his book, Live Not By Lies, were stories of people who lived through. Uh, active persecutions somehow kept their faith and their families intact. And even grew stronger in their faith. And grew stronger. Yeah. So I'm looking and and suggesting we need a curriculum for persecution. Mm -hmm. And that curriculum has nothing to do with transcripts and SAT scores and college acceptance and everything to do with furnishing the mind and heart through songs and poetry and prayers and memorized scripture and the stories that we know so well that when we are cut off from everything we we're you know we, we're not going to be able to just pull out our phone and read some inspiring thing or have our bible and you know contemplate you know 
Paul's persecution, we're going we're gonna to be dependent on whatever we have inside of us and our children even more so. Yeah. And while the, and I have a whole different talk on memory and how modern culture degrades, erodes, condemns, uh, actually prevents the cultivation of memory. Um, what we need from a, I think, spiritual longevity perspective is we need to be very actively figuring out, okay, are we every day singing songs? Are we praying prayers? Are we memorizing scripture? And are we retelling the most important stories that we can to furnish the minds and hearts of our children to withstand some very real, if not hardship, I mean, if not actual persecution, then at least hardship. And I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I've been reading a series of books, uh, biographies and autobiographies of people who did live through imprisonment and suffering and even torture mm. for their faith, for their beliefs. And I, I don't know how well I would do. I doubt I would do very well. I'm a wimp, honestly. I don't like pain. I don't like discomfort. I don't know what would happen if yeah. someone started beating on me and said, deny Christ and you can go back and have a normal, comfortable life. I, I don't even know how tough I am. All I know is that I need to be tougher than I am. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's true. Well, we don't have, this is not something we like to talk about in polite church, you know, polite Christian circles, certainly. And for decades now, we've seen kind of the handwriting on the wall. And here we are. I mean, it, this could be five years away. It could be five months away. It could be 10 years away. It's not a bad thing uh, for us to be talking to our kids. I grew up in school reading, uh, there were several, uh, the, every year we went through portions of Fox's Book of Martyrs mm. and we would read, you know, some of the extraordinary suffering of the men and women of faith that had gone before us. And it was inconceivable to me, you know, as a, as a high school girl, even as a junior hire, that people could actually be treated that way because we just have never seen it in the United States. And we might see clips of Christians being persecuted. We hear about pastors that are being arrested in Africa and people who are being shot but we are just now starting to get glimpses of it here in the United States. If Andrew, if if there are parents who are listening to this right now and they're like, boy, God's really burdening their heart and they want to start getting into a practice with their children of being in the word. You know, I, I just keep, I'm listening to you and that verse comes to mind, you know, your word have I hid in my heart uh, that I might not sin against you. We're not even really doing that anymore. Where do you tell parents to start so that they can begin to shore their children up and their own families for whatever lies ahead, whether it's a personal uh, sorrow that comes into our lives because we're not guaranteed. You know, you and I were talking about before the show yesterday, you know, we hear about this health and prosperity gospel, but tell that to the disciples, right? That This would have been such a foreign way of thinking for them. But as parents who grew up in this really very comfortable culture, where do we make the shift? Where do we start? Yeah. Well, I suggested um, and, and I did a little research because I'm I don't even know what are the best things. But I suggested that you start with an easy number, an easy goal, five songs, five scripture selections, five either memorized prayers or quotations and five stories that you 
want your children to have in their active moral imagination. Mm. So five times four. And uh, I, I didn't Give really... it again for a parent. Say it again, because there's people that are trying to write it down. Uh, say it again. Five, five, yeah, five songs, five scripture selections, five memorized prayers and or quotes, and five stories that you would like your children to know very, very well. Yeah, so for example... Uh, well, I actually pulled my Facebook friend community since I thought, you know, uh, a, a, a couple hundred contributions is better than just Absolutely. whatever I think. So here were the top five songs. And uh, maybe you can put these in the show notes if you wish. But um, the number one song that everyone recommended that they would like to be able to sing if they were in prison for their faith is Be Thou My Vision. Mm. The number two song, It Is Well With My Soul. And the number three song, Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And then there were quite, an, quite a lot more suggestions of various songs. Um, I tend to favor more traditional hymns myself. Uh, so I tried not to, um, you know, not include those. But uh a song called My Anchor Holds, which I had not heard I until love someone that recommended song. Yeah. it. Beautiful song. And Faith of Our Fathers, which is a very traditional hymn. Um, and then, you know, scripture selections is tough. I, You know, some people, I'm sure like you and your family, have a lot of scripture committed to memory. But I think a lot of younger parents, particularly if they didn't grow up going to Awanas or something, um, they don't have necessarily the same foundation. And so what would be five scripture selections that you would say, here, these are the most important that I would like to have in the pocket of my mind to pull out and comfort me. Um, you know, so there's, there's that five scripture selections. And then, um, th those were, uh, the Beatitudes. That was yes, high on the yes. list. Um, pretty much all of Second Corinthians, Paul on persecution. I don't know what could be better. Yep. Um, sometimes just a one-liner can do it for you, too. Matthew 10, 22, you'll be hated for my name's sake. Um, a lot of people were suggesting various psalms. So I guess Psalm 23 got the top billing, but there were a lot on the list. And then that section in Luke where... Uh, Christ on the cross says, forgive them mm. for they know not what they do. Uh, how can we, how can we prepare ourselves, not just to endure persecution, but to actually love those who are persecuting us the way Christ did? Um, so, you know, scripture selections. Um, I come from a religious tradition where memorized prayers are kind of normal. And I have met people who kind of look at that and say, no, prayer is just me talking to God and I don't have a need for memorized prayers. But I do think that if you look at the greater Christian tradition, there are some that have always been kind of, you know, the standby for when you don't really feel like you know what you want to yeah, say to God. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. 
Um, also also the, known I mean, as, is that also called the Nicene Creed? Is that the same um, thing? Well, there's, there's two. The Nicene Creed is the longer one. Okay. And that was kind of came out in opposition to um, the Arian heresy. So there was some very specific language in the Nicene Creed that was you know, defining this is what trying we to make a point as Christians believe, yeah, must believe. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those kinds of a lot of those types of statements that were made by the early Christians in the councils were made in, um, you know, a challenge to a various heresy that had popped up. The Apostles Creed is much shorter and doesn't contain uh, all of that stuff, but both are readily available and honestly, you know, should be something that any Christian can, uh, you know, accept, even when it says one holy Catholic apostolic church, the Catholic is, you know, the universal nature of the yeah, Christian. Yeah, that's right. Church. Our church, so we go to a, a community church where my, my son-in-law is a pastor, and we recite that that creed frequently as a yeah. church. And they said the one Catholic church, and, and he explained to the congregation what that word Catholic means. And it was an interesting, uh, it was a good conversation. But it's been helpful, I know, to our family over the years to have been uh, engaging in that. And finally, you said um, five stories. Yeah, stories. Um, I I've actually went and got kind of two lists of stories, um, one for children. And um, top of the list there was Narnia. Second one on the list was Lord of the Rings. And Dreyer mentioned Lord of the Rings in his book because he found that there was a family, they read that book again and again, and he asked the mom, why did you choose that book? And she said, well, because we knew Mordor was real. Wow. Um, the Green Ember series was yep. on top of that list, right along with Aesop Fables, Timeless Truth. And then, of course, you know, stories of martyrs that are written for children. Um, I, I think we have to be careful that in pursuing this curriculum, we don't create unintentionally a spirit of fear. That's right. For our children. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you talk a lot about we, we do not want a spirit of fear, but we can look at the stories of people who lived in times that were fearful and rejected fear in favor of faith. Mm. And, yeah. and then, uh, uh, you know, books for older teens and adults, The Hiding Place. Um, Richard Wormbrand's whole story, Torture for Christ, um, Man's Search for Meaning, which is not a particularly Christian book, but Viktor Frankl's experience in yeah, incredible. concentration camps. Yeah. Um, any biography of 20th century martyr like Bonhoeffer. Um, I just finished reading a book called Against All Hope by Armando Velardes. Um, he was imprisoned in Castro's Cuba for yes. 22 years. I did a whole show on him. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So those are some thoughts. There's obviously a lot more to be considered here in terms of what are the types of daily habits and traditions and kind of a, a home liturgy of life. Um, one thing that we know um, very objectively is that when you have a routine in your life for either, you know, exercise and or spiritual practices such as prayer and meditation on the word, 
if those are strong in your life during times of ease, then those will be a, a super rock for you when times are hard. So I believe we have a window of time where we can work on this, you know, furnishing the mind and heart with these things that will really strengthen us and and more importantly strengthen our children mm -hmm. so that they will be able to hold their faith hold their identity hold their love for the truth with the capital t yeah through the times of hardship we we we're not all heading off to prison tomorrow at least doesn't seem like it so we've got some time uh, to do this with the songs and the poems and with the prayers and the scripture and with the stories to furnish the mind. And, and I guess my final point would be this. If by some miracle there is a revival, if for some reason we manage to escape an active persecution of Christians mm -hmm. in this modern world, in this country we live in, we will all be better off for having been prepared for it. Hundred percent. And so it's it, it's a win win. We can't possibly fail to benefit our families by striving to being prepared for the worst. Yeah, it's true. And and Jesus said, you know, in this world you're going to have trouble. And he said, oh, you know, take heart. I have overcome the world. And these kinds of practices and spiritual disciplines are going to be useful no matter whether or not the country goes into an active persecution of Christians or whether or not we just need it for our daily lives. I mean, I remember, I remember talking to you about this the day that I, I picked up that phone call from my sister and my nephew had been in a, in a terrible collision and we spent months in the hospital. In fact, the book, uh, I wrote a book in there called Prayers for the Battlefield uh, that was largely written from a hospital waiting room. You know, my husband and I suffered a terrible uh, loss of a miscarriage years and years ago that we had to work through. This this life is filled with uh, with valleys and mountains. And if we're not equipped for those valleys, the valleys are very, very painful. And so I think this is, no matter what happens in the country, this is an excellent uh, discipline. And it's so important for parents to teach children because if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. It's so true. Well, Andrew, you are a national treasure, a treasure for sure to the homeschool community, but also to my husband and myself personally. And I am going to take you up, by the way, on that offer to fly out here and have dinner. So don't think it's not happening. Careful because careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Well, it'll, it'll be either in one Washington or the other, right? <laughs> Certainly. It'll absolutely be in this Washington because it is my favorite Washington. And uh, we still have, we've got, you know, we've still got lots and lots to talk about. Thank you so much for coming on the show with me and for just encouraging parents to stay the course and to grow deeper in their walk with God. It's just been a pleasure and an honor to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Heidi. And you keep up the tremendously good work that you're doing. God bless you. God bless you too, my friend. For more information on my friend, Andrew Pudawa and the Institute for Excellence in Writing, and the notes that I took today, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com for such podcast. We will link back to the books that Andrew recommended, as well as the list that he shared for us today. I hope you guys will lean into the truths that were spoken here in the last couple of days and that they will bless you and grow you in your walk with God and grow you in your walk as parents. Have a great day, everybody. 
and I will see you back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.